This week on Heads and Tails, we interview Chianti Story, who's a retired United States Marine, who's also a below-the-knee amputee. Um, we have a little bit more than just an interview this week. We actually started a GoFundMe for Chianti to hire him a strength coach to get him to the 2016 International Paralympic Games. And so give this episode a listen, and I have no doubt that you're going to be inspired to, to donate to his cause and because you, you're going to realize that it's not just helping Chianti out, it's helping out the hundreds and thousands of people that he inspires every single day. So at the end of the episode, if you want to uh, donate to the cause, you can go to headsandtails.org backslash Chianti. That's spelled K-I-O-N-T-E. Um, or you could just go to headsandtails.org and click on the tab Chianti Story. Uh, I'll also share it on all social media. So if you if you don't follow us yet, follow us on Instagram at Heads and Tails. Heads as in your head, the letter N, and then Tails spelt T-A-L-E-S. Uh, Twitter Heads and Tails Pod, so P-O-D at the end, and on Facebook just Heads and Tails. Give us a like and um, definitely share it with all your friends. We're trying to raise uh, eight thousand dollars to hire the strength coach and try to help with some of the the travel expenses he's going to incur to get him to the the Paralympic Games. So without further ado, here's episode 13 with Keonti Story. This is Kevin Som, you're listening to the Heads and Tails Podcast. We share stories of perseverance and inspiration in sports and in life. Thanks for tuning in to episode uh, 13 of the Heads and Tails Podcast. Uh, today I'm interviewing uh, Chianti's story. He's a United States Marine, and I met him at the Working Wounded Games. And he's also an amputee, so we're going to talk about how he um, has overcome, you know, the obstacles that he's faced since then. And kind of, and he's a phenomenal athlete. I was his judge, and I could just tell that this kid is just on another level. Um, so let's just start by talking about what sports you played growing up, and we'll go from there. You know, surprisingly, sports growing up, like I did, like like the Pee Wee stuff. I did like Pee Wee baseball. I guess you want to call it Pee Wee, uh, Pee Wee baseball, Pee Wee basketball. And that was pretty much it. Um, once I got into middle school, I didn't really play any sports. And then high school, I, did, I didn't play any sports, even though I was like recruited by some of the coaches. What? I yeah, I was just one of those kids that was just like. So what you do? I uh, just tried to get good grades. Like I, I, I was terrible at paying attention in class, and I felt like my mom would be more proud of me getting good grades rather right. than being an athlete. So I focused on... I was on, not expecting that at all. Cool. Yeah, you know, it's actually pretty funny. Like, um, like ever since, like, going through the Marine Corps, everyone's like, oh, what sports do you play? Like, they're like, oh, basketball, football. I'm like, I didn't play a goddamn sport. <laughs> right. So... Dude, I'm even more amazed now because like, when I was watching you work out, it was like... And just, like, your body awareness. Like, you were... I remember you were looking at one of the other veterans and you are trying to, like, figure out, you know, how he could do a kettlebell swing with, with his, uh, level of amputation. And mm-hmm. to, it's just like, I can just tell like the wheels are spinning for like your body awareness. It was awesome. Um, all right. So you didn't really play any sports growing up. Oh. Um, so what, when did you decide to go to, to the Marines or to join the Marines? Um, I probably decided around my, well, I finalized my decision roughly around senior year of high school, but I probably like thought about it and got more into it around junior year of high school. Um, I think my sophomore year, my friend, uh, who actually I ended up serving with as well, um, he was like, oh, I'm gonna join the army. And then he went to the recruiting office and I thought didn't think much about it. And then he came back and was like, well, I found the Marine Corps and this and that. And there wasn't really a big broadcast of like, the Marine Corps is this, this, you know, on the commercials. Right, like they do now. right. Um, few the proud. Yeah, so we were both like, "What the hell? What the hell's the Marines?" And so he checked it out, and he did the whole, you know, at, you know, the whole thing, and came back and was just like, "Dude, it's awesome! You gotta go try." And I'm like, "All right, you know." And I, I thought about joining the army, but wasn't, you know, solid on that decision. And then uh, went to go check it out, and I was just like, "Okay, this is the best thing ever! Like, I have to do this. This what, is awesome. what about it? Where you're like, "This is the best thing ever." What, what made it um, like that? I, what really got me was just. Um, you know, especially when they told me, you know, we're the best, you know, military branch overall. You know, like as soon as they like they told they tell us that, you know, obviously I think all branches are equal and unique in their own ways. Um, but just how hard they push the Marines 
I felt was what I what I wanted. You know, like we didn't take any shortcuts. I'm not saying any other branches do, but I felt you know at that age there was no shortcuts. This is you know the hardest it's going to get. You know, other than being coming a Navy, Navy Seal. You know, this is what I wanted. And, you know, just going through the basic steps of just how hard they pushed you each and every time was you know what I enjoyed the most. Right. And that's interesting because you didn't play sports growing up, so I would have thought that you know you you'd get that like push and that drive from like playing like for football that was for me you know playing football kind of gave me that work ethic and that like desire to want to push myself but that's awesome that you had that kind of intrinsically and so what specifically about the marines was like made it different i don't know like was it the boot camp that or what kind Uh of you know like i didn't research the difference between the army marine corps navy you know um my, I, I thought about joining the Army. My friend introduced me to the Marine Corps. I tried it out. I liked the Marine Corps. So I was kind of biased in a sense because I'd only tr- tried out one. Um, but what really got me into looking towards the Marine Corps, the military in general, was just I wanted to experience war. I wanted to do something different other than graduate, go straight to high school, or right. go to college, you know, right. basic college. Like everyone else in the world, yep. Yeah, and I was just like, you know, I want to do something different. And I felt no one was... Because of the wars, everyone was staying away from the whole join the military. Right. My mom really agreed with my choice at the moment, but I think over time she accepted, like, hey, he's a grown man. He's going to make his own choices either right. way. And so she supported my decision, which was really a blessing. And, you know, I joined infantry because I wanted to, you know, experience that combat, that war, that, you know, that differentness other than, you know, college and experience life. You know, and just I felt Marine Corps and just joining the military, you know, helped me become more of a better man, I guess, in a sense, or a better person. It, I, I would find, you know, I would develop myself rather than develop myself or, or trying to fit in with the crowd. Right. I like that. Yeah. And, you know, joining the Marine Corps helped me find, define who I was overall as just me. Right. And that's how I was the whole Marine Corps. It was just, I was just me. I didn't try to fit in with anyone else. So, what year was it when you joined the Marines, like in terms of the war and stuff like that? I joined the Marine Corps in 2007 of July. Okay. I went to be, uh, yeah. All right. And, and you said that you wanted to experience war. I feel like, yeah, you're right. Like I feel like a lot of people are afraid of that. You know, they, they avoid the military because there is a war. <laughs> so, like, what was going through your head that you're like, I want to do this or just to, like, you know, help the country and like protect the country well, or it was just an experience. I, I I was a curious kid, you know, everyone talked about, well, Iraq is this, and you see all the news broadcast and right. you know, being on this side of the spectrum, you're just like, Oh well, oh my god, it's so tragic. But then on the other hand, you're just like, Well, what's really going on? Like obviously we know the news, we hear the news, we see other people talking politics, nonsense, blah blah blah. And it's just like, well, how much is this really true? Are we falsifying things? And it was just for me, like, I didn't really get into the political kind of thing. I just wanted to experience that way. I have my own understanding of what it is to be there. Right. Um, And it's a different, you know, once I'm there, you know, my whole mind kind of changed. Like, it wasn't, you know, oh, I went there to serve my country or this and that. Like, when I was there, it was just that brotherhood that kept us that kept everything going. It was right. just like, I enjoyed being, you know, protecting my brother to, to the right. I, you know, yeah. enjoyed being around them. And that was, that Fighting was for the guy next life. to you. And so, right. you know, all right. Interesting. So you said like, what goes on here and what goes on in okay. Iraq? <laughs> so how is it different to like, what's portrayed on TV here versus how it really is in Iraq? Uh, um, you know, Iraq and Afghanistan, obviously, I didn't pay too much in the news in that phase, but being out now, being a civilian, um, I can't say there's a huge difference, but I think there was a big misunderstanding. I think the news portrays what they want to portray to get an emotion out of the people watching it. And although some of the information they're passing might be correct, I will probably say some of the information that they do pass is probably not completely factual or completely truthful and it's kind of just well this is what we kind of get pieces of and we're going to guess the rest of it kind of thing and that's just that's just me watching the news as a civilian and so that's kind of the same way it was as a kid um before i joined it was just like well how much is this truth and how much is this falsified you know how much are we 
BSing just to get a rise out of the, you know, the populace or America, you know, to, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, you know, going to get my own perspective, gain my own opinion and, you know, and basing everything off my own opinion, off of what I've seen, what I've understood, that's what I go off of. Right. All right. So, um, so when did you get injured and how that happened and what kind of thoughts were going through your head when, during that time? Um, I got injured 2010 of September. Uh, so you're already in the Marines for three years at this point? Yeah. Okay. Three years going on my pretty much going on my last year, um, and got injured in Afghanistan. We were in uh, I was third battalion, seventh Marines, um, with Lima Company, doing a morning patrol, and we're pretty much at the end of our uh, deployment around this time. Uh, we went in like I think February, March, give or take. Um, so we're pretty much coming winding down to our end of our actual deployment. Um, pretty much less than a month. And so we go out on this morning patrol. We got intel of, you know, that we might be ambushed. So we went out to set up a, you know, just in case we got ambushed, our, our original site got ambushed, then we would ambush the ambush, That if that makes sense. And so in short, you know, we go to, we're clearing out buildings, you know, rooms and houses, trying to find the best place to set up and, you know, making sure everything's all right. And as we're clearing out this building, it was fairly empty uh, from what I saw on the outside. Uh, you know, we had 13 Marines and two Afghan National Armies, give or take the, the numbers. And they go inside and I stay, you know, at the entrance of my junior Marine providing outer security of the building while they go inside and clear out the building. Um, and as they go inside, you know, it got kind of quiet for about a minute or two. And I don't like I don't like the silence kind of aspect. I'm like, I, I, I want to know what's going on. So that way I can set up a better position. Cause I was a team leader. So I was okay. like, for my junior Marine, I had, he was a saw gunner, which is a very large, um, personal automatic weapon, pretty much, you know, equivalent to a machine gun. And I need to set him in a better situ in a better area because we're really exposed. And as I, set him in a better position. I was like, Hey, I'll be right back. Cause I didn't want to be too loud over the microphone or anything like that. So I take two steps in this hallway and this is what it was like. We're thinking about going in from the outside of a house into a hallway, right. you know, 12, right. 14 people walk over this one IED and I take three steps into this hallway from the outside. And there was an ID right there that everyone stepped over and I happened to step on and yeah. <laughs> Wait, so like the rest of your team saw it and no, no, no one's seen it. They just, it just happened to not step on it. It just happened. Yeah. It just straight of luck that it wasn't stepped on. It wasn't nothing. It was just, I walked three steps into the building after everyone else walked over it. All right. So what, <laughs> so what was the, the aftermath of, of that? So what, happened? Uh, you know, so the, the aftermath, you know, do you remember it or, Oh, yeah, I remember it very clearly. Sadly, this is the part I don't enjoy, but I do remember everything clearly. If you don't feel comfortable um, talking about it, it, it's fine. Oh, no, I, I mean, I don't mind. I mean, I don't mind sharing, you know, my story. My, okay. This happened to me. It's blatantly obvious. But um, for me, it's just uh, – so what happened was, you know, everything kind of went gray. My ears were ringing, kind of like what you would see in the movies. Right. Um Everything was kind of slow, and I was just like, "Okay, what the hell just happened?" I felt like like I couldn't really breathe. Didn't you know understand what overall just happened? Um, I just found myself lying on my back, and what kind of kept me conscious was uh, dirt fell in my ear, um, and so that kind of like pissed me off. So that like yeah, you know tried to move, brush me. yeah, and so um, as I'm laying there, I'm just like, "Okay, what just happened?" I'm trying to like compose my so trying to understand what's going on. Obviously, something, you know, loud, big boom just happened. I'm like, okay, am I double amputee? Am I sing oh, it's like, okay, am I missing anything? So this so is going know, through like, your head at the time. Like, wall. And as I'm trying to, yeah, this is all going through my head. Yeah. <laughs> and so as, like, I know there was a wall near me. So I was like, okay, let me see if I could push myself against this wall with my feet. You know, I didn't have the energy to really breathe or talk. So I just stayed quiet and try to move my feet a bit. And you know, I'm moving my my left foot, and it wasn't 
doing anything for me. I'm like, okay, that doesn't want to do anything. Am I right? Like, it was burning. I'm like, well, that one's injured. So I was like, let's just assume this one is an amputee. But because I couldn't do my left, so I was like, oh, maybe I'm a double amputee. So I just kind of laid there. I'm just like, okay, what's going on? And then I can hear, like, my junior Marine, the guy that I had was sitting up in a better position, he's like, hey, story got hit, story got hit. And I'm like, okay, uh, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I'm laying there, and I'm like, okay, well, I don't know the extent of my injuries right now. And I'm so I literally just lay there and just try to compose myself like, okay, this is going on. I'm like, I'm still alive. I don't know the extent of my injury. If I'm bleeding out, I don't know what's going on right now. Right. Um, I can feel like, you know, the doc talk finally gets to me. They, they sweep up to me to make sure there's no more IEDs or mines in the way. Um, and they get to me, you know, they start talking to me and I'm talking back to the corpsman or the doc, our Navy medical corpsman. Um, and explaining to him, like, hey, this doc, this is what I'm chilling, this is going on, you know, and in short, long story short, you know, end result was my, I was right leg below the knee amputee, my left leg suffered minor uh, damage, uh, nerve damage, uh, compartment syndrome happened, so they kind of did a fasciotomy on both sides to relieve pressure, so I have skin grafts and scars on that leg, um, I have full movement now, range, I have full range of motion of it now, but nerve damage still, I cut it in this night and I find myself bleeding randomly, um, and TBI and a little bit other stuff's going on, right. but yeah. So a part of this show is, it's called heads and tails, partially because of a head injury that I suffered that almost killed me um, from playing football. So what was your traumatic brain injury symptoms like too, or where was that like the least of your worries at this point? Um, so when I got in the hospital, they, they diagnosed me with TBI and, um, PTSD overall. Um, and so with TBI, like we did this, like little, I I guess, mental tests, like, I guess it was fairly extensive mental test. Um, and, and this is all being done in Iraq. No, no, this, no, this is, uh, this happened in Afghanistan. Oh, in Afghanistan. Yeah. Um, that's where I got injured. But then when I, came back to America, I was staged, I was in uh, Bethesda Hospital where I did oh. most of my recovery. Okay. Uh, well, the first 20% of it anyways. Um, and that's where they did the first test of like the TBI and, you know, everything was a little bit slower than, you know, expected. Um, it took me a little bit harder to think, concentrate, focus. Those are like the basic things that they say was, is kind of going to happen. And they said it might get time and I did. And then as I, progressed over time you know i went to Babel hospital which is located in san diego maple medical center and did my rest of my recovery with my prosthetic care physical therapy and all that pretty much they stressed the 80 percent of my care was there and you know that's where i i started going to doing a little bit of school and that's where i, I kind of realized like oh man it's a lot harder to focus a lot harder to like retain um the information it's really hard for me to memorize things. Even now, I forget people's names um, like consistently. Like I have to think really, really hard about things. Sometimes I can't remember what I just did, and I have to think twice as hard to remember like what right. did I just just do. So this is still this is still affecting you today. Yeah, this is an ongoing thing. Yeah. <laughs> so. All right. So talk about the recovery for your leg so what were like the hardest obstacles that you you came across in your recovery and when did you start getting in the track um i know you you're training for the paralympics right as yeah, a sprinter like, yeah that's my goal 2016 the kid um, who didn't play any sports ever <laughs> yeah um so when it came to the recovery phase uh the physical portion was probably the easiest portion by far um you know you you know you Start off in a wheelchair and then move to crutches. And then I got my first prosthetic, which, and then I had to walk to my appointments. Um, those were probably physically, uh, just physically frustrating more so than anything else because my leg was in pain, the pain, this soreness. I, I was tired easier. Um, it was exhausted. Like I'd walk 10 feet and like have to sit down, catch my breath, like out of shape. Um, those were probably the the easiest portions of it all when it came to that physical portion. Then it came down to, you know, the mental aspect of it all. Um, that was probably the true struggle overall. Like, you know, I was beating myself up, you know, 
hated being alive, didn't know why I was alive, you know, being in my room, you know, depressed, suicidal, um, you know, it was just a mess really for me. And that, that, that mental battle was probably the hardest thing overall. Like I can even sit back and think like, man, the physical portion wasn't too hard because right. you got to move. But that mental thing, it just, it, that was a true struggle overall, which was probably the real, which you, you come to define whether you have what it takes, you don't have what it takes to, in essence, live or not live. And for me, it was just a real big struggle to find existence. And I didn't know where I was, you know, why I was alive, what, was the, what I was supposed to do in life, what, why was I still alive, and these kind of thoughts were going through my mind. As I'm in the hospital, you know, mainly in my room, and, you know, ask myself, damning God, you know, damning everything, really. And just got to a point where I felt one day it was just like, you know, like, I'm here for a purpose. I'm here for a reason. What is that reason? You know, I, I, I'm obviously alive for something. Um, and I'm like, well, what is that something? Like, I'm asking God, like, give me something. I'm asking someone, give me some type of sign. Give me something to validate my existence right now. Because it's kind of, I'm ready to go. Um, Damn, and, yeah. It was, you know, every day I would wake up and it was getting to a certain point where it's just like, okay, maybe I'm asking such a broad request from someone. And, and I come, I, I do come from a religious background, um, but I don't want to offend anyone listening. No, um, I, I, I'm really interested in that actually because a lot of people that I admire and people who have struggled, they find a lot in religion. And I'm, I, I'm Catholic. But I don't really, like, go to church. I don't really, like, get the whole church thing, get the whole praying thing. So yeah. if you are if you want to talk about it, I'd love to hear about it just so I could kind of see, you know, how it worked for you and how it could work for other people. I mean, I'd probably be in the same boat. I don't really go to church. I don't really do the, a lot of praying. But I do pray because um, I am thankful for everything thus far in my life, um, you know, to be where I am. Because, you know, I I've, it could have been worse. I could have died you know, in, in a very short second. Um, but, you know, you know, I'm praying, I'm asking God for, you know, like, give me something, give me a sign. And I, one day I wake up, I'm like, maybe I'm asking too broad of a question. Um, and I'm just like, well, you know, what makes me happy? And that was probably the quickest answer I ever got, whether I, you know, I got a sign. But for me, what I enjoyed doing every day, why I enjoyed waking up, why I enjoyed, you know, being alive was because I got to make other people happy. I didn't, I got to a point where I didn't care about my own happiness. I didn't care about my own wellness, but I did care about everyone else around me. And I enjoyed making those around me happy, smile, laugh, joking around, you know, and you know, I, I, I know my negativity sometimes brings people down, but it's not what I want to do. I want to bring people up right. and make people better and push them to be better. And, you know, and I, obviously I expect, others well not necessarily but i would like others to do the same to me as i do with them and that's kind of how i believe um, right and you know going to the whole religion side this is kind of a really kind of fun portion of what like my deployment um when i was deployed in afghanistan that i, I read the whole bible okay Actually, yeah I've read just it because or just, just because just to say i did it yeah <laughs> um don't wouldn't you know, ask someone else to try that because it's it's really hard to understand if you don't have the patience because you yes, read the dense, first. I would think, yeah, yeah, you read the first page and you'd be like, "This is garbage. This makes no sense." But if you continue reading, it's kind of interesting. Um, but that it's more of a personal kind of thing, not necessarily an overall kind of thing, right? So what I read, you understand, and what you read, I probably won't understand because it pertains, and I feel it pertains personally to the reader. Who's yeah, your reading. own experience, right? Yeah. So if you experience, then it makes sense. So, yeah. but yeah, so it, that's kind of how it was, you know, going, you know, back into the present of that time, uh, going through the mental struggles. But that's kind of how I found myself getting into sports was getting out there. And what to sum this all up on that aspect was I had a corpsman who was also injured and he came up to me one day and was just like, dude, you motivate the hell out of me. And don't get me wrong. I didn't do it. I wasn't doing anything special. All I was doing was going to, Paralympic camps and just trying to get myself better, you know, and, but in the motion of me getting myself better, I was inspiring others around me and right. hearing that was kind of like the kickstarter of just like, you know what, 
not only am I doing this for myself, I'm doing those for those around me as well. You know, I inspire those around me and I, that made me happy. You know, right. I don't want to be looked up to. I don't want to be, you know, you know, idolized or anything, but to push someone to be better because I know we're all going through the same thing. And whether we want to admit it or we don't want, you know, admit it or not admit it, we're all struggling in some way, shape or form. Right. You know, it's just all about, you know, who's going to be stubborn the longest and actually be like, you know what, I need help. And for me, it was just sports was my mental and physical recovery. And that's what, that's what kept me doing sports. And that's what really got me in track was uh, going to this camp that I did in Oklahoma, which was in the Endeavor Games. And I came across a Paralympic committee personnel who was there watching. And I didn't have a blade. I didn't have a running leg. I had my normal walking everyday leg. And again, these camps... You know, you can do all these Paralympic sports. And for me, it was just getting out and about. I got to travel to another state. I got to enjoy getting out of my room, get away from the hospital. Right. And, you know, getting the test to see what I can and cannot do. And I go on the track and I run on the track. And, you know, I think I, I think I ran like 15-something on the 100 meter. And it was just like, God, that was slow. That was useless. Like, why did I even do that? Like, <laughs> I was discouraged. But, you know, for... So what kept you going? Just uh, well, that, you, that you were inspiring other people or... Inspiring other people and knowing that, you know, I had the ability to do such a thing. I wanted to inspire. Like I said, I enjoy making other people happy. So not only did I inspire other people, but in the process, I found that I enjoyed track. You know, I enjoyed, you know, although it's kind of a independent kind of game, it's I still enjoyed competing against myself and others. Right. Um, and right. What, what, you know, initially I was going to go snowboarding. So really any sport at that time probably would have fell in my lap if I tried hard enough. But what stuck with track was I had, when I spoke about the Paralympic committee per, uh, personnel that was there, she was like, hey, you know, like, do you have a running leg? I was like, no, I do not. <laughs> and she was like, well, you, you have potential. You can be a lot faster. You can be a lot better at this. And I was like, all right, I, I don't know how. I don't. And she's like, do you have a coach? I was like, I don't know anyone. She's like, we need to find you a coach. We need to get your leg, and you can be really good at this. And I'm like, okay, you know, and I didn't think too much about it because I was like, I didn't see myself acquiring a coach anytime soon, which surprisingly, the agility coach at Balboa, which you have to go through to get your running leg, was an Olympic athlete. Okay. And so he trained me, and, you know, and that's where I stuck with it. You know, it's just, and it, there was a lot of ups and downs, obviously. It wasn't. You know, something I was like, oh, you know, I'm passionate about it. I want to do this for the rest of my life. It was just something that kind of fell into me. I was like, all right, you know, someone believes in me. Someone has says I have potential. Let's do this, you know. Right. Um, and that's pretty much how I, I fell into the whole track world, you know, and I enjoyed the community that, especially beyond the track and competing, I really enjoyed the community. Training by yourself sucks, period. Yeah. I don't really get I the blessing yeah. to train with the team or anything. So, but when I get to go to competition, like I enjoy it. I enjoy competing against the top athletes in the world. And although I might not be up to their level and I may not get to their level, I just enjoy the overall camaraderie and the sport itself and right. just competing against these guys that I've got to watch improve. And I've watched myself improve as well. But competing against these guys is just, it's an amazing feeling. And I'm just like, you know what? I never expected myself to be here and I am here where I am right now. And it's just, it's a good feeling. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so what's your training regimen like now? I know you said that you work nights. So when do you find time to, to train? Um, along with the ups and downs, working nights, you get tired, <laughs> but I generally come out of work and go straight into either track or going to, uh, a, a distance run or I do the gym. Um, or whatever I can fit in, because right now I don't have a coach, sadly, at the moment. Um, we're trying to work things out financially on that end, okay. um, along with other things. But we'll see how that works out for me. Um, but for me right now, I still stay active, so that's what I'm doing. Like, So after I get off of work, I either go for a run, go to the track, and do what I feel is needed to improve at the moment. Um, just to stay fit, physically right. fit, until something happens. And then I'll probably go to CrossFit. So sometimes I'll do two a day. Sometimes I'll do a three workouts a day. And that might be, you know, a track workout, CrossFit, you know, run my dog three miles or whatnot. And then some days I might just do CrossFit and 
you know, run my dog or, you know, I mix it up here and there. All right. Yeah. You know, just, just staying fit and active. Yeah. Um, when you said that you were, you know, trying to find a financial thing for a trainer, um, I was thinking maybe we could talk after this and we can, I could try to come up with some way to, you know, raise some money to, to get you a trainer, to help you reach your goal of, you know, making the Paralympics. I mean, that would be, that'd be awesome. <laughs> right. Yeah. Cause I, I want to do some sort of like, you know, some fundraising stuff with my organization. I haven't done it yet, but I'm like, what a better opportunity than to try to do it with this. Um, yeah, and you could, awesome. yeah, and yeah. All right. We're going to talk <laughs> after this. We're going to make that happen. All right. Um, all right. So you mentioned your dog and I, you brought your dog to the working wounded games and I could tell that you guys were like super close. Like you guys were on the, the same wavelength there. So can you talk about when you got your dog and how that helped you through your recovery and, you know, even all like the the other emotions that you were going, I know you talked about like I your website's sick by the way. Your all your pictures are awesome, um, and like the little logo with you sprinting and the dog, it's like the coolest thing ever. Um, but yeah, if you could just talk about your dog and talk about you know, I know you say you went through a lot of depression and just talk about how uh, Koja is his or her name, right? His his name, yes. His name, um, yeah. If you could just talk about the dog and how that that helped you through some tough times. Um, so I got coached roughly around, oh, uh, 2012, I want to say maybe late 2011, maybe early 2012. Um, what stemmed me, you know, getting a service dog in general was going through my physical therapy. There was a, a therapy dog. His name was Tommy. And I love sharing the story because I love Tommy. And he was a black lab. Okay. And he was the laziest lab you'll ever meet in your whole life. Didn't do nothing. Would never do nothing. Would get excited for like 10 seconds and be like exhausted. But I love I loved being around Tommy. He made, you know, my day enjoyable. So I would go to physical therapy, you know, my normal appointments. And then sometimes I'd just stay at physical therapy or go back to physical therapy just to hang out with Tommy because I enjoyed being around Tommy. Right. You know, on the table with Tommy, fall asleep with Tommy on the table. You know, it was just a great, and you know, I enjoyed being around him and, you know, going through what I was going through. It was just soothing. And so, you know, talking to my doctors and everything like that, I was eligible for a service dog. And I ended up coming across Koja. I, 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 well, I've, I've seen a lot of labs and Goldens at the time, and I didn't really want to do the same thing that everyone else kind of had, like everyone had the German, the Goldens, the, you know, the labs. And I was like, I want something kind of different, something more towards me, you know, like labs are great. I think they're really, every, every service dog, I think it's a great dog because I think it's personal towards them. But I wanted something more personalized towards me. I was like, Tommy or lab or Golden, they probably couldn't keep up my activity level. Right. And I was like, I want a more dog, more active. And I've always wanted a Siberian Husky for because I feel like their personality was like mine, but in a dog form. What and is their personality? They're one. They're very well known for being very stubborn. And I was a very stubborn kid. <laughs> Even now, I'm very stubborn. But they're very intelligent. They're very smart. They're very um, energetic, and they're just a breed that you can't you can't um, undermine. You know, they're always either a step ahead of you. And they're very determined to breathe. Like, they will get what they want if they really, really want it. And, you know, and that's kind of how I was. You know, when I wanted something, I wanted that. And I didn't want to stray away from it. You know, I was determined to get what I wanted. I was very, and I've always felt like I was a very smart kid, even though I always felt like I'm very stupid at times. Um, and I always, I'm very foolish and silly and, you know, just not necessarily dumb but i just have my moments right <laughs> but you know with, with the cyber and huskies that's how i felt like so when i looked in cyber and huskies i was like oh i felt like that dog you know was me in a dog form and so i talked to a trainer that i met and that was little angels out of santee which is now out of hamul which is east san diego east east san diego somewhere east of san diego um and talking to her she had a cyber and husky herself but it wasn't a, you know it was a it was just her personal dog she had so she understood you know the temperament the breed itself which helped me out a lot so going we're we're talking to her she was just like well i think it would be beneficial i think we can make this work 
but again, it was a 50-50 split, you know, knowing the breed temperament of Siberian Huskies, you know, that's kind of what we was, it was, so it was kind of a, a gamble-ish, but, okay. you know, work, working with Koja worked out very well. I got, I went to a breeder because I wanted to, a, a good dog with no issues in the long run, um, or any major issues early. So purchased him and, you know, he learned very quick, worked with me, you know, we worked with each other the whole time. So he wasn't separated from me. We went to train together, went everywhere together, flew together, rode trains together, by you know, a- anything. We were always together, you know, and it's four years now and he's always been by my side. And, you know, when it came to the depression portion of it, you know, because of him, I will say, you know, my dog is what kept me alive because going through that depression, you know, there's a certain point where it's just like, you don't care about anyone else. You don't care about, you know, the things other people would you know miss about you right you know you don't care about you don't think about that but for me you know i would truly and i mean of course miss my family but i would truly miss leaving my dog behind and because of that you know i that kept me alive and you know kept me off that suicidal edge um but you know because he would lay on me he would cuddle with me lick me you know play around with me and that kept me from going to my depression when I was home and then out and about, he would help me with my anxiety because going into large crowds, you know, I'm over analyzing things, you know, overly vigilant, I think is how I want to word it, overly vigilant, yeah. And, you know, I'm looking at everything, analyzing everything and, you know, stressing myself out and, you know, he would sense that and he would paw at me and jump on me, try to get my attention, do something to annoy me like, hey, stop being, you know, asshole, what are you doing? And he's trying, to, he's trying to get my attention to focus on him to calm me down. And that was his job, you know, exactly his job, what he was, you know, supposed to be doing. And that helped. I would sit down and play around with them, calm me down, you know, calm myself down and get back to like, okay, you know, and look at everyone else around me. And everyone's like, oh, my God, you have such a beautiful dog. And everyone's smiling. And it wasn't a threatful situation or a threatful environment. It was very, right, oh, right. everyone's smiling. You know, everyone's looking at the dog. And after yeah, a while, yeah. you're just... <laughs> So it, it, it was it, it's crazy how dogs can sense like what their owners are like feeling. Yeah. And it, it takes time. I mean, some dogs pick it up just like that. Some dogs are just like, takes a while, but right. I think all dogs know what's going on in their own way. You just have to be able to understand what your dog is trying to present to you or tell you. Right. Um, you know, cause I can tell when my dog, my dog's thinking, I can tell when he's, you know, thinking, trying to do something he shouldn't be doing or he's, trying to figure out something or he's looking at something i can tell all these little things by by being you know just by looking at him um so yeah i mean it's a blessing to have him in my life and i you know because of him i i've made it very very far and i'm always happy that he's you know here yeah awesome uh i i went through like a similar depressive you know situation after i couldn't play football anymore i know it's varying things but i had i don't i had something called second impact syndrome and really it happens about 12 kids a year um and the survival rate is about 50 percent, and the morbidity rate is about 100 percent. so for me to come out you know alive number one and then number two you know so fully cognitively functioning you know i was and then i couldn't play football anymore i was really like feeling bad for myself and it, it wasn't like I had suicidal thoughts, but I know what you're saying. Like, it's like you wouldn't care if you died kind of thing. Cause like yeah. everything at the moment is like, it feels like it's just sucks. I don't know, but yeah. I, I see what you're saying. And I think that your message and kind of how you got through that is going to be great for other veterans and also other athletes who are, you know, going through similar things. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to transition into the working wounded games and kind of some of the workouts and what challenges you had and what did you practice going into it or what was your, and what was your favorite part about it? Um, so I did the working wounded games 2013 was my first time attending the working wounded games. Um, and that was at CrossFit Rubicon and doing that one was spectacular. I was just amazed that, you know, even though it was kind of, you know, still in the working phases and working progress of getting everything dialed down for everyone and working for everyone. It was still a great event. And that one still had the one arm dead lives. I think for that one, they had the one arm snatch clean. I think it was for that uh, dumbbell snatch clean for that. Um, 
and I think that one was Pyramids as well. Um, I forgot what the other ones were, but it was a great experience to see what I was capable of because I wasn't heavy lifting or anything like that. I wasn't really into CrossFit just yet. Um, I was, I think I just started CrossFit, um, or dabbling with CrossFit and a little dabble do ya. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, going there and just, but to see all these different, you know, levels of injuries and disabilities was just like, what the f- hell? Like, it was just mind-blowing because you would not expect some of these people to be doing what they're doing. For sure, know, yeah, it was, it was amazing. Yeah, people with, in wheelchairs, people CP cerebral palsy, people from, you know, missing limbs, missing arms, people born that way. It was just like, okay, you know, yeah. like, this makes me feel like a little girl because I got blown up, but these people were born either born like this or... Worse, I felt like their injury was way worse than mine, you know? Right. And it was just an amazing feeling. And I didn't get to make it to 2014, but, you know, I was able to make it this year, was I enjoyed. And it wasn't necessarily for the work. I enjoyed being around them. That's what I want. I want to be around that environment because it feels good. I love being around those type of people because we're all there to have fun. We're all there to work out. We're all pushing each other, and it's a great vibe. And I feel that's not a, like – being an individual athlete on the track, I don't get that. You know, I don't really get a lot of that. And that's a good vibe and feeling to be around, um, which is another reason why I stayed with CrossFit. Um, And, you know, for this workout, you know, we explained the workouts for this year, 2015, was uh, one-arm deadlifts. Um, I think it was, uh, oh, God, what would we do? It was like something. It was the ground overhead. And the uh, the ball slam? Did you do that one too? No, I didn't do the ball slam. It was, it was like something. Oh, it was pig flips to Sandy or something like that. Yeah, so yeah, we, yeah, yeah. I judged you on that one, right? Yeah, and so we flipped the pigs twice, and then we do uh, Sandy, which was Bengals ten push-ups. Yeah, Sandy. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Five pull-ups, 15. ten push-ups, fifteen air squats. I think. Yeah. And yeah, something like for, that. Yeah. So, until the time runs out for two minutes. So you start from two minutes from the time you start flipping the pig, and until two minutes expires, you're doing whatever the rest of Cindy was uh, for three levels, four levels, I think it was, um, to the heaviest, which was, I amazed myself, but I'll, I'll finish the thing. And just doing the Atlas was also amazing because I've never got to do the Atlas as well. That's big cement ball yeah, and you literally power cleaned it up i was when you were telling me what the uh physical therapist told you to do with like yeah not rounding your back and not like i was like there's no way he's gonna do this and the freaking guy power cleans it up and then puts on the platform i was like you gotta be shitting me yeah and so like for me it was just you know going into you know i amazed myself on everything because you know, I was able to one-arm deadlift 265 pounds with one arm, and that's starting from, like, I think one-something. And Yeah. I, For anyone that, that does deadlifting, try to do it with one arm. It is not yeah. easy at all. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, like, you, there's no there's no straps. It's just hands. And, you know, for me, at this, I had to do the hook grip, and so I did that, and I thought I was going to dislocate my thumb <laughs> holding that weight. But, you know, to be able to do that – and focus on good form, focus on good takeoff, and focus on a good finishing, because that's to me, you know, the form is everything. I was like, I don't care about the weight. If I can't lift the weight, I can't lift the weight. But right. form is what's going to save me from injuring myself once I am done with the workout. See, that's an awesome mentality that ninety nine percent of people don't have. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, because again, I mean, I didn't even know if I could one arm deadlift. I can barely do that right now. Sometimes, you know. With two arms, you know, especially on bad days. So I was like, one arm? I don't know. But right. to do it, it was just for two times. No, I think I got it for three, but one didn't count, sadly. Um, was just, I amazed myself on that one. That was amazing. I was just shocked. I was just like, oh, my God, I can't believe I just did that. Yeah. And move on to the pig flips. You know, I amazed myself on the last one because, you know, working up, I think it was a, a good 10 minutes of, you know, doing, you know, building up to the last one to be able to flip that heaviest pick, which I think was 300 and some pounds, I think. If, oh, if damn, I might, yeah. Yeah, I might be kind of off, but to be able to flip that. I think it was like weight, a thousand, actually. No. <laughs> I don't know if you heard, but I did over a thousand. <laughs> I know, right? 
just make a big grand number all of a sudden like it's someone someone's gonna call me up like you got to be a liar <laughs> but to be it's able a podcast, to podcast no one knows yeah you know to be able to do that was just amazing i was just like holy shit i just did that but what really surprised me was the girl who did it with one arm that amazed me i was just like no damn way right <laughs> um and i was just amazed by that you know overall so i was amazed myself and this girl who's dealing with one arm and you know doing the atlas you know like i said you know i'm always focused on good form and i'm talking to my physical therapist that was there you know i'm like hey this is what i'm thinking because you know I, everyone's like telling me how to do this way i'm like i don't know about doing that right, like in the strong man the way strong man way is to like round your back and like do some sort of yeah. weird contrived uh thing to definitely hurt yeah. your back yeah yeah and so you know i talked to a lot of people and everyone's like oh well the strong man's strong and strong and i'm like well I guess that makes sense. If you're lifting 500, 600 to 1,000 pound ball, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. But still, you have to have the core strength, back strength to be able to stabilize so you don't pull something, rip something apart. That's a lot of weight, you know, and you can't jerk it around or you're just going to hurt yourself. Right. So I focused on keeping my back straight. And, and I was like, well, this is only, you know, one, I think the heaviest ball was like 115 or 120. I was like, well, I could snatch this, you know, I can, or not, well, I probably could snatch that way, but I know I could clean it. And that's how I looked at it. I was like, well, it's, I can clean, if I can clean this weight on a bar, I can clean this ball, you know. If you could dodge so, a wrench, you could dodge a ball. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, and clean, I was like, I, I could focus on legs, forms, and I can keep my back straight and my posture good. So I was like, that makes a lot of sense. Why not do it that way? Yeah. So that's exactly what I did. And, you know, lo and behold, everyone was just like, wow, you had really good form. I was like, well, yeah, everyone can clean this weight. Right. You know? Like but we, for me, it's the <laughs> it's the grip. It's different gripping a bar versus a it, huge freaking cement ball. So that's what really amazed me. But Yeah, it had to keep it like – I had to like, you know, pull my shoulders back and keep my core tight and, you know, just really be able to dig under it. So the first little bit, yeah, it's very difficult to get under it. But once you get under it and you get the the, the – feeling that you need right to like lean back a bit and pop up is that's how I, that's how i looked at it every time it was just like get under it all right this is right lean back a bit pop up get under it again yeah you know and just get it up there yeah, even though you didn't play sports in high school or growing up you are definitely a freaking athlete just from talking <laughs> to you like your level of awareness of like your movement is insane to me um all right so well, what I mean, was the last workout i think i missed that one um this was the like hips to overhead like you could snatch it or oh it was everyone uh, did yeah it was a snatch so everyone got a bar it was plain bar no weight um and you just snatched it for i think one whole or two whole minutes you just did snatches or you could do it so basically in short it was ground to overhead so any movement from ground to overhead so it was you know you could snatch you could clean it you could you know, snatch to a jerk, you can snatch to a push press, you can clean it, or, you know, snatch it, obviously. Um, whatever whatever worked for you. Right. All right, cool. And All you right, did cool. that for 12 minutes, and the purpose of that was just to really get that, get, to really get that last bit of strength out of you, just push all that you got. And trust me, just moving the bar was tiring, was exhausting. And that was just a bar. No right. weight, just a bar. <laughs> Alex said that he did just the bar too, and he was freaking dying. Yeah. Kid, I interviewed before you. Um, all right. So, what was your favorite part about the whole whole weekend? Um, the favorite part of the whole weekend was just being at the working wounded games around all these great athletes and people. You know, and it was the environment itself. You know, like the workouts was you know obviously amazing and you know spectacular. I you know surprised myself on a lot of things, but you know, I could have easily surprised myself doing something else, you know, but being around all these people, all these great athletes and now friends at this point, it was a great feeling to have. And I, and even as I was talking to someone else, I was like, this is what CrossFit is about. This is CrossFit in its finest um, because you're around everyone who's not there to compete with everyone else. Everyone's focused on themselves to do their best. You know, right, some obviously right. you have some people there to compete, to be better than the next, but even in competition, you're laughing, you're giving everyone high fives, great job. Even, you know, pre-warming up, everyone's laughing, getting a good job. And even when you beat someone, you're just like, awesome, man, that's awesome, great job. You know, and 
that that is what I enjoyed. It was just the environment, the hum, hum you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Hum, humble, humble, hum- humility. Is it? No, that's that's bad. Humility, hum, humble. I think humble. humble. Yeah, okay. I, I want to say humbly, but that's not the word. That I'm, <laughs> but anyway, obviously, I don't know. So <laughs> these these athletes were humble, and they weren't like cocky. They weren't arrogant. They weren't you know all in your face like shit talking or anything like that. It was just like. Do a good job. That's awesome. Keep it up. Right. And that was, that was you know, a really great feeling to be around. Especially if you're not around that a lot. You know, you're just like, I want to come back here again. I want this to happen tomorrow, next weekend. I want to happen that every day. Right. And you know, it doesn't happen every day, so you enjoy it while you can. <laughs> but right. but again, it, it's and you finished what? What you finished third or third? Yeah, yeah. I was. I wasn't competing. I wasn't competing against anyone. I, I had no intentions of winning anything, not a medal, not a pen, not even a high five. Like, I came there just to enjoy right. being with all these athletes, and I came out third, and I'm just, like, shocked. Like, I didn't even know what to say. I was like, how did I win third? I was like, there has to be a mistake. What did I do? Like, I just showed up. Yeah. <laughs> you know? That's so, when you know you're an athlete. You just show <laughs> up. <laughs> Spoken like a true athlete. All right. Um, I'm going to finish with some questions that I asked some uh, of some of the other adaptive athletes I've had on the show. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just going to say four words and I want you to just tell me what is the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the word. All right. All right. The first one's disability. Um, disability. Someone, hmm, disability. someone who allows their injury to take control of the actual person itself, um, letting the injury define the person rather than the person defining the injury. Okay. Um, that's that, and that's just me coming straight off, you know, top of my head right now. What I feel about disability, yeah, um, great. because that's what I feel about disability is like someone diagnosed you with such disability, or someone said, obviously a doctor was like, "Well, you have this injury, and you are now disabled at this portion." you no longer have use of your arm, your leg, or you no longer are able to do this, or you're just fat, even fat is a disability at this <laughs> yeah, point. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> and those people who allow their disability to define them, and what I mean by that is that they, everything in life from that point on, they're just like, well, I can't do this because of this hurts or this hurts, blah, blah, you know. I'm too fat, blah, blah. You know, you just I eat because I'm unhappy, yeah, and I'm unhappy like, because I eat. <laughs> <laughs> you allow your disability to take control of you instead of you taking control of your disability because you still have a solid mind. You still have a solid way of going about life in a very pleasant way to where you're you don't you don't have to feel like you're disabled. Yeah, you are permanently disabled. You'll probably always be listed as disabled, but you don't have to feel and you know let that be you. You know and. You know, coming from seeing these people and these guys, women, kids, adults, you know, at the working wounded games, at in, in Endeavor games, where I see kids, double FDs, they're just born that way, right. living life happily, you know, they are living life despite their injury, no matter what. They're laughing, they're smiling, they're enjoying life, period. And, you know, I feel if you can overcome your disability in one way or the other you you're 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 pushing yourself to be better than you know what you already are right awesome that's a great answer for disability (laughs) so what about uh inspiration inspiration i think inspiration is something that comes from within that people cling to um inspiration i just i just feel like inspiration when you're inspiring someone or you're doing something it's not necessarily an outward kind of thing it's more of like you do it on a positive internal feeling but people see it on the outside and they find it something that they can cling like they to can absorb understand. it right like they yeah, yeah I and that's I feel about inspiration. is there a person that comes to mind when you think inspiration you know there's there's not a lot of people that i would ever say uh, until recently um, but my, I had a friend, he's no longer with us. He passed away from cancer, sadly. Sorry about um, that. But my friend, Sergeant uh, Lam Lee, 
Um, he he was in the he was in the Marines, and you know, and I met him at the hospital. I didn't know him before the hospital. I met him at the hospital while I was recovering, and he had cancer, and I didn't really know the whole extent of his cancer. Um, and, but I knew he lost his leg to bone cancer. I'm like, okay, you know, and, you know, getting to know him, always happy, always positive, always making people laugh, always just enjoying life, never a sad day in his life, never mad, never for nothing. This right. guy was the happiest dude on the planet, and you thought he was on drugs. And, but he was, you know, he's going through chemo he's going through you know he's tired he's sick he's in pain but he never shows it you know except when he's really in the, like the first day of chemo you can definitely see it you know like it's just right there in your face looks sick but you know all the way until the day he passed away this guy has always had a smile on his face always laughing even on his deathbed and i promise you i seen him and Still laughing, still joking, still just being happy despite everything that he's going through, everything that he's feeling. Like, he is probably the most inspirational person. He's probably the only man on earth I'd probably ever say I looked up to. Wow. And he's he's younger than me. He's, I think he might be my age. But because of the way he conducted himself as a person, just that's how he was. And that's what I wanted to be like. Right. Coming out of the hospital because obviously expired explained how I was feeling. That's who I wanted to be like. That's how I wanted to feel. And I'm like, what do what does it take to be like him? How do I be like him? And he was just a great guy overall. Like you, I can't even say I can find another person like him on, on the face of the earth ever. You know. That's awesome. The legacy is definitely living on <laughs> through you. I think I'm, I'm not about that at all. Uh, I, <laughs> what about uh, the word adaptive? Adaptive is, hmm, let's see. Adaptive is making, uh, I guess in a sense, I would look at it as adaptive would be making the best out of a worst situation. All right. <laughs> uh, that's, the, that's the only thing I can think of. It's just like, yeah, making the best out of a worst situation. All right, good. All right, I'm going to finish with this last question. And I used to ask this to all my guests, but I kind of got away from it because I was getting the same like Webster's Dictionary definition. <laughs> but for some reason, I got this feeling that you're going to give me something really <laughs> juicy. So um, what's your personal definition of uh, perseverance? Perseverance. Perseverance. Uh, given that I don't even know the Webster's Dictionary for perseverance, <laughs> but <laughs> what I can probably come off and say what perseverance means is someone who strives each day to be better despite what they're going through, despite the ups and the downs that they, their day-to-day go through, whether it's, you know, whether it's a little or a lot that they go through that's negative, you know, they continue to push on, they continue to have hope, they continue to have faith that that something good is going to happen, that something good is going to come out of you know, in the long run, and they never let up, they never, you know, back down, they continue pushing, and they may never know what that end result is going to be, but they feel it's going to be something positive, it's going to be something relentless, and yeah, and they're, they're, you know, perseverance is something that it comes from within, you can't find it any other way, it's through your struggles, it's through your, you know, willingness to fight, your determination, and, you know, just, Continue to push on despite all odds, and even though the odds may be against you, you see you continue to still fight, and that's what I feel perseverance is. Damn, that was uh, my <laughs> gut feeling was right. That was awesome. <laughs> all right, so uh, I just want to thank you for taking an hour out of your day to to talk and tell your story, and you're definitely gonna inspire other athletes and veterans. Uh, you know, hopefully all over the world someday. This has I'm hoping this has that kind of reach. Um, but now I just want to get back to trying to talk about how much money you would need for a trainer so I could have at least like a, a goal in mind for some sort of fundraiser that I'm going to try to put together. You know, honestly, I mean, if I to be honest, I, I was working with a trainer and I no longer could afford him out of pocket, sadly. And I, I mean, to hear someone like – 
and you and I don't even know you. You don't really know me, but right. to have come up to me. My first instinct is to say no, but it's no. I'm, I'm very gracious, and but I guess if I had to give you a number, I know it was like seven something a month. Seven hundred a month. Yeah, seven hundred a month, and that was just to work with my strength trainer. You know. Right. You know, he's a really good strength trainer. Obviously, it costs a lot, <laughs> which I was surprised, you know. Yeah, that's uh, freaking absurd. <laughs> you know, um, it's, all right. But it's interesting because I talk to a lot of, you know, personal trainers and, you know, physical therapists, and they're just like, yeah, it's expensive. But again, coming from someone who's not a, who didn't start off being an athlete as a kid, I had no idea. You know, the first few years, I was like, well, I can't afford, I'm sure I can't afford these people. Um, and, this year it was just like, well, it might be my last year, 2016 coming up. I can either I make it or I don't make it. It's the end, end of the day, you know. And I was like, well, I want to at least get my all, get my best. And right. I started the process, and I was like, fuck me. <laughs> I, I I literally looked at it. I was just like, I I can't. It's not that I can't afford it. I can't be consistent with it. And that's the thing. I right. was like, Dude, yeah, 700 months here, and I was like, I can probably do that for three months, and I'm living on a bridge. Right. <laughs> you know. All right. Like, what's the time frame that you would need the trainer for? Um, you know, what I was trying to use my trainer for was twice a week uh, all the way up to June, I think it was, which is, you know, that's a hefty pay. Yeah, you know? yeah, for sure. So <laughs> it, it was a lot. I, I, could, I, you know, reached out to other organizations. Only one could help me, but right now they're they're tapped out, so I have to wait until – maybe sometime next year, which is fine. Um, so what if I could try to get it for a year? So that would be 700 to be like a little over like 8,000 bucks, I guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would rather, I mean, if, if, if you can even do a couple months, I would, I would accept that because that much money, I feel like you'd be helping other people. Okay, and that's my belief. Like that. Right. Much by you, effort. that's what I mean. Like by you doing this, and by you, you know, <laughs> training to be in the Paralympics, I feel like you're gonna help so many people along the way that like this money is like priceless. Like you could, you know, like the, the dollar amount doesn't matter. It's with the its reach that it could have. Yeah, I mean, um, I hope to continue inspiring people and. Whether I make it to 2016 or not make it to, I'm, this is just me. And I don't do this for anyone else. I don't do this for, you know, and I, and I say this, you know, because I've had this conversation with people. I don't do anything like this for fame, attention, personal gain. I I could tell that. That's why I'm I'm so, (laughs) why I want to help. But, all right. I'm going to start thinking about what my plan (laughs) is going to be, but I'm going to stay in touch with you for sure. Um, All right. But I want to thank you again for taking an hour out of your day. I know you're busy. I know you work nights and you're training and doing all that. And for just sharing your story, it was awesome. And to go in as deep as you went and, you know, showing, you talked about your vulnerable states. Like that takes a lot of courage. And I I really appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, for me, you know, talking about my injury, what I've gone through, you know, for some people, they might describe it as a weakness. And for me, I did. You know, that's how I started off. It's just like, I'm just exposing this. I'm weak. I'm fragile. But for me, it it's a healing thing. So talking about it for me helps me um, in a sense because now I'm no longer afraid. Like, hey, you know, like why am I afraid of what is or what was? You know, this is me now. I've I'm, I'm a lot better than what I'm expressing to you. Right. But in those times, yeah, I was weak. And you know, as a man, as a human, to expose weakness is not. I guess, and a, a good thing. But for me, it was just like, it became healing. When I first expressed all this to my friend, like I felt good about it. And I was like, maybe I should probably keep doing it. Cause it's not only, you know, ex- you know, letting the world know like, Hey, you know, like I appear to be strong on the outside and I might be the toughest person you might ever meet exteriorly, but on the inside I'm fragile. I'm, I've been broken many times, Yeah, but, you know, it, it took a lot of, you know, rebuilding to get to where I am today. And, and, and for me, expressing helps not only them because it it shows them like, Hey, if he can do it, I can do it. But for me, it helps me because it's just like, it feels good to be able to talk about it and not feel afraid. It feels good to talk about it and not feel ashamed that, 
I went through those feelings, those stages, right. those suicidal thoughts, and you know those things. Going may never back to it, it all happened for a reason, right? Like yeah. now you, you could, you're like paying it forward, and you're you're helping other people. Yeah. All right, Chianti, I'm gonna make this happen. Thanks again for tuning in to episode 13 of the Heads and Tails podcast. Just a reminder, if you want to donate to Chianti's GoFundMe, you can find the link at headsandtails.org backslash Chianti. That's spelled K-I-O-N-T-E. And, or you could find it at headsandtails.org and look for the tab that says Chianti Story. In addition, you could find it on all of our social media accounts, which is at Heads and Tails on Instagram, at Heads and Tails Pod on Twitter, uh, Heads and Tails on Facebook, and if you haven't done so yet, please give us a five-star review on iTunes. This way we can spread our message more and more every single week. Um, thanks again for your support every week. And I want to give a special shout-out to my friends Mike and Marsha for um, creating some T-shirts and hats for Heads and Tails. And a, a lot of the – I've actually sold a few of those for to contribute to Chianti's cause. So the goal is $8,000. Any amount that you want to donate is definitely going to help. Uh, no, no amounts too, too small. Thanks so much for the continued support, and I'll see you guys next week.